0: So, the Bible reading for tonight is Matthew five thirteen to 16 You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness,
1: how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A small town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven.
0: It's my podcast. Welcome back to the Chip Lunch Podcast. Uh, it's, it's very, very exciting to have uh, you along with us today, because I'm joined by my usual co-host. I'm Joel, by the way. I'm usual, usual co-host, Brayden.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: And uh, another guest on the podcast who looks very excited to be here. <laughs> it's been excited. out since three o'clock in the morning. Manda, how are you?
2: I'm all right. That's good. I'm all right. It's good to
0: have you along. It's great to be here. It's to great show. to be here. Have you watched other Lunch episodes before? Uh, <coughs> no, no, I love <laughs> well, it when I, I ask was. it and they're like, oh no, but I'll go on it. <laughs> I watched
1: one this morning. Did you? Yeah. Yes. And so do I you know, know what the
0: first question is that we ask everyone?
1: yeah i do oh
0: do you want to ask it yourself ask yourself the same question
1: <laughs> i reckon you might want to know how i like my chips Oh <laughs> yes, is that right yes. long time listener first time caller <laughs> <laughs> and
0: last time caller too <laughs> um, uh, go
1: well mm. oh.
0: do you want like a description of like the consistency of the chip as well i want Ooh. you to i want I you to just dream deep dive. yeah i'm chip fine with deep dive. you know like a chip that's a little bit crispy on the outside but really soft on the inside. Yep. Yeah. Covered in chicken salt. Oh. Yes!
1: <laughs> One more for the good guys. <laughs> One time we got hot <laughs> chips. Joe Jr. I'm yeah.
0: shameless plug. Yeah. Best chips going around. Mm. Ask for extra chicken salt. Yeah. Get them. No salt.
1: Oh, wow. I had a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey everyone. I'm Tim. I'm losing my mic. Uh, that was the Chip Lunch podcast, otherwise known as Joel's podcast, uh, apparently. Um, if, uh, if you haven't watched any of the Chip Lunch podcast before, uh, you can see it on YouTube, you can get it on your podcast. Basically, it is getting to know the people of our church. So if you do want to know the people of our church uh, better, it's a great way, Um, they're usually about an hour long, and it's all framed around three questions. How did you become a Christian? What do you know now that you wish your younger self knew? That comes towards the end. And then the opening question, which you just heard, which is, how do you like your hot chips? Um, And uh, it's a great way to find out lots of things, like the way that Amanda likes the consistency of her chips, which is excellent. Um, but uh, even people you know, well, when I listen to Tracy's episode, where's Tracy over here? There were, I worked with Tracy for close to 10 years um, at Guy Moran, we were children's ministers together, and there were still things I learned on Tracy's episode that I'd never heard before, so that was exciting. Um, but one of the running jokes throughout the podcast is this idea of chicken salt versus plain salt. Um, and much to Joel's annoyance, uh, chicken salt is still winning out. According to Sandy Bailey from last week's episode, uh, 35 chicken salts to 27 plain salts. So I thought we might take a straw poll, several of this once and for all. Um, uh, yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait. If, you, if your preference, you can order your chips however you want. If your preference is for chicken salt, can you just raise your hand? Okay, all right. Uh, if your preference is for plain salt, can you just, a few people, okay. <laughs> Uh, if, uh, if your preference is to order Macca's chips, put them in the fridge and eat them the next day... Anyone? anyone? If you want to know which member of Soul Revival that is, you'll need to go back through the 75 episodes and find out. Um, most people on the podcast, though, agree that some kind of salt is good for it. You see that nice segue? Isn't that smooth? Smooth, yeah. Um, Thanks. Um, You're all wondering what on earth is that to do with anything. Um, Not only the chips are are quite ordinary without some sort of salt in it, uh, but from our passage that Bethany read for us, what we get the picture of here in Jesus' words is the world is rather ordinary without Christians... In In fact, the image is even stronger than that. You see, salt in the ancient world didn't just make things taste better, it actually preserved them. It stops food from rotting, decaying, becoming putrid. Uh, And so salt doesn't just make food taste better, it makes food better, full stop. And that's what we're going to dig into tonight as we think about this passage and what Jesus is trying to say. Let us pray uh, for ourselves as we dig into this passage. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this Sermon on the Mount, the message of Jesus, as he encourages us how to live as disciples of him as we seek to live your way in this world. And we pray that tonight you will help us to be creative in our thinking, help us to be, uh, be able to dig deep into this, to understand your word, and to be able to put it into practice in our lives, to be salt and light in all of the circumstances we find ourselves. Amen. Amen. Well, what does a decaying world look like? Uh, do you see much evidence of decay in the world today? As you look at the state of the environment, what do you see? As you look at the state of our politics, what do you see? As you look at the posts and the comment threads on social media, what do you see? That's a trick question. Never read the comment section on social media. Um, What about closer to home, though? What do you notice about the people in your neighborhood, the people in your school, the people in your workplace? at the shops, on public transport. As you look around, do you see evidence of decay in the world? Uh, I've been reading and meditating a lot this week on uh, this fella here. He's going to come up on the screen. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Here he is, right here. Isn't he an attractive man? There he is. Uh, there's his birth and death date. Uh, m- 99 to 81, Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was the minister at a church right in the heart of London, Westminster Chapel, uh, from 1939 to 1968. So he's pastoring this church in the heart of London right through the Second World War, right through that era of austerity and reconstruction after their rebuilding from all the uh, Nazi bombing, and then right through the baby boom into the late 60s. Uh, And he did a whole sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, just like we have been looking at, uh, the Beatitudes. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones considers this passage, this idea of salt of the the earth, this is what he has to say. He says, you are the salt of the earth. What does this imply? It clearly implies rottenness in the earth. It implies a tendency to pollution, to becoming foul and offensive. That is is what the Bible has to say about this world. The world is fallen, sinful, bad. Its tendency is towards evil and wars. It is like meat which has a tendency to putrefy and become polluted. It is like something that can only be kept wholesome by means of a preservative or antiseptic. The world left to itself is something that tends to fester. It's quite a picture, isn't it? And as we look around, maybe you can think of the ways, whether it be locally, nationally, internationally, where you can see that fallenness, that sin, that festering of the world. And it's not just Christians who notice these things. Uh, We see non-Christians commenting on this all the time. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's at work around the water cooler. Maybe it's when we watch the news or partake in social media. Uh, There's a whole lot of conversations, and we see people wrestling with the despair wrestling with what's going wrong with the world and how do we fix it. Perhaps an uptake in electric vehicles will solve the environmental crisis. Uh, Perhaps a new state government will fix the pay conditions of our essential workers. Perhaps an Indigenous voice to Parliament will fix the inequalities and injustices of our First Nations people. People are wrestling with ideas. They're trying to find big systematic changes. And it's good and it's right to think critically about these big systematic changes. But when we think about, when we look at the words of Jesus, what does he say the salt and the light is? What is the hope for the world? What is the preservative, the antiseptic to a world that tends towards festering and rottenness? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And who is the you that Jesus is talking about? It's the person that Jesus has just finished describing in the Beatitudes that we spent all the first term looking at. Let me remind you what the Beatitudes were. It's those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn. Those who are meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's an unimpressive list of character traits. As we've repeatedly said over this first term, they're not the kind of list that you see in the successful literature, successful attributes. You don't find self-help, self-development books championing these things. You won't find Jordan Peterson writing a book, Twelve Rules for a Mournful Life. How to Win Friends, Influence People and Thirst for Righteousness. Think and Grow Rich and Be Persecuted Because of It. One of the most uh, famous self-help books is called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And you'll be encouraged there to be proactive, to think win-win all the time, to sharpen the saw. I don't know what that means. I didn't read it. But uh, it's one of the things you're encouraged to do. What you won't find in that book is an encouragement to seek mercy, to be pure in heart and poor in spirit. But these are the values of the upside-down kingdom. And what is surprising is that Jesus says it is these people these people who are living by the values of the upside-down kingdom, these insignificant ones, they are the ones who are not only blessed by Jesus, by God, but they are the ones who will be salt and light in the world. It's weird, right? John Stott says, uh, The very notion that Christians can exert a healthy influence in the world should bring us up with a start. It's surprising that Christians would be the face of change. Uh, now, in our day and age, Christianity is uh, very much on the nose. Uh, people expect that Christians are the bad ones in society. Um, Christians are the ones who abuse children. the children, uh, Christians are the ones who misuse church finances. Christians are the ones who oppose that love is love. There's a whole lot of reasons why Christians are the bane of existence in contemporary society. That's what our cultural authority is. But that's not actually what Stott is talking about. Stott is looking at the Beatitudes, he's looking at the values of the upside down kingdom, and he says, What possible influence could the people described in the Beatitudes exert in this hard, tough world? What lasting good could the poor and the meek do? The mourners and the merciful, those who try to make peace and not war. Would they not simply be overwhelmed with the flood tide of evil? What can they accomplish? Whose only passion is an appetite for righteousness and whose only weapon is purity of heart? Are not such people too feeble to achieve anything? Especially if they're a small minority in the world, it doesn't make sense that Christians who live according to the Beatitudes would have a positive effect on the world. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus says. Jesus does not share a scepticism that Christians could make a genuine difference in the world. He says, no, no, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is who you are. It's who you've been saved to be. And if you're a Christian here tonight, that is you. That is who you are. There we go. We're back on. Um, In Philippians, uh, Paul picks up this same light imagery. Um, There's a slide coming up on Philippians, I think. There he is, perfect. Um, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Notice that, warped and crooked generation. There's the festering of the world. That's where we live amongst. That's where we are. And then you as Christians, by living Christianly, will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. As we live out these characteristics, we live out the Beatitudes in our daily life, as we do good deeds in and about the world, the decay of the world slows down. By being blameless and pure, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, there is this shining light of hope that pierces through the darkness of our world and presents a better way. Uh, If you were here last Saturday night, I talked briefly about the idea of a Christian counter-story, the idea that Christian story is so radically different from all the other stories, all the other messages we hear in the world. And what Jesus is saying tonight is that if you live according to that Christian counter-story, if you follow the way of Jesus, if you seek to live according to the upside-down values of the Beatitudes, then two things will be true. Number one... You will look different to the rest of the world. You put salt on top of your chips because it is a distinctive taste. It changes. It's different to the chips by themselves. A light shines through darkness because it is different to the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The power of salt, the power of light, comes from their distinctiveness. Christians will be different to the world around them. That's the first thing that's true. The second thing will be true, that difference is powerfully positive. Powerfully positive. If you live according to the values of Jesus, you will be different, you'll be weird, and you will make a powerfully positive difference in the places and amongst the people you find yourself with. Even if they don't necessarily appreciate that, in the moment and at the time. Here's another encouragement from one Peter, talking about the same idea. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, those who live differently, they're distinctive, they're living the counter story, abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they might accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For it's God's will that by doing good, you shall silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Distinctively different and bringing powerful, positive change to the world around them. That's the consistent story of the New Testament, particularly and also in the Old Testament as well. Uh, If you've been with us the last three months, you've heard us talk a lot about the upside-down values of the Beatitudes, the sort of strange and counterintuitive values of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, not only will you be blessed if you follow these values, but also these values are good for the world. Christians living Christianly is the hope for the world. Christians living Christianly is good news for your neighbours, your school friends, your colleagues. Christians living Christianly is good news for politics, social media, society, for our suburbs, for our cities, even for our environment. The hope for the world, the salt of the earth, the light of the world is Christians living Christianly. That's what Jesus is saying. Martin Lloyd-Jones again writes, the Christian is not only to be different, he is to glory in this difference. Why? Why? We're not just being different for difference's sake. We're not just being anarchists. We're not just trying to uh, cause a ruckus. We're being different because we're being obedient to Jesus. That's number one. And because it's good for those around us. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one truly saintly person radiates their influence. Christians living Christianly radiates their influence. It will permeate any group which they happen to be. If you have one person working at a bench who is a true Christian whose life has been saved and transformed by the Holy Spirit it does affect all around them. Christians living Christianly is the hope for the world. Which makes sense then of the warnings of this passage. See if salt loses its saltiness how could it be made salty again? It no longer is good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. So there's two dangers here, that as Christians we actually stop living Christianly. We don't live differently, distinctively, powerfully, positively. Uh, we could uh, stop being different, in which case we've lost our saltiness, we've lost our distinctiveness, we're no longer uh, distinct in the world. We're just living the same story as everyone else. Or the second one is we could actually withdraw from the world We can actually put ourselves away, like hiding a light under a bowl, which the light is technically there, you just can't see it. And if Christians hide away from the world, well, again, we can't be good in the world. The hope for the world is Christians living Christianly. We cannot afford to lose our saltiness, and we cannot afford to hide our light. When Christians don't display the beatitude values, when we're not characterised by the fruits of the Spirit, then we're no different from those around us and therefore we're of no use. The last quote, this is my last quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, The great hope for society today is an increased number of individual Christians. An increased number of individual Christians. Now, what does this look like in practice? How do we walk out of the door tonight? How do we go into all of our spheres of work and school and neighbourhoods and etc. cetera um, and be salt and light? But rather than just... Give you a whole lot list of examples. I thought I'd give you another video. Um, this is a video that was produced for my other job, my YouthWorks job, um, and we were particularly profiling the difference that scripture, SRE, can make in schools. Uh, and so we interviewed um, Cameron Hislop, who is the long-term youth minister, long-term high school SRE teacher over at Genali, um, and he speaks about the influence that he's had over many, many years just being a Christian uh, and doing Scripture in the schools that he's in. Now, most of us here are not Scripture teachers. A small handful of us are. Uh, Some of us are in high schools, so that's relatable. Uh, But all of us are in different spaces where we can carry out being salt and light. And so what I want you to listen to is not Cameron's particular story. I want you to listen to what he has to say and then imagine... What is that going to look like for you? What is your particular space? Where have you seen Christians living Christianly be a powerful influence into the world? Um, And I'd love you to be able to share those stories as we eat dinner together as well. But, But let's watch this and then I'll wrap up by praying for us.
0: You've had this amazing long run. It's very rare for a youth minister to be in a church for 30 years like you have. And then in addition to that, being around the schools and having relationships with the schools for 30 years in the local community. So what are some ways that God has worked over that time that you've seen?
2: You don't have to be around for 30 years to to have God work for a start, but certainly um, there've been lots of instances where things have happened. There's the ongoing relationship that you have with staff at the school, with the school principals and um, with students as they're going through the different year groups. But really, that's hard to detect what God is doing often. There are moments along the way where you see people come to understanding of various uh, truths from God's word. But typically it's in the moments of crisis where, for instance, a student's parents pass away or a student passes away or even in 1994 we had a whole school raised by bushfires. And so um, these are opportunities that will arise where if you have an existing relationship with the school, you're able to just follow that through and step in because it's a natural outworking of that relationship and your Christian care. So there's been lots of moments like that along the way. I mean, just at this point in time, I've got a student in my year six class at one school who has has lost both parents within a month of each other. And had a long conversation with the principal just last week about um, what's happening with this student. And the principal said, is there anything our school can do to help your church as you minister to this boy? It's amazing. <laughs> like, the boy doesn't even come to our church. He doesn't go to any church as far as I know. And so um, there's a perception from, from her because of the relationship and the history that um, the school want to help our church in some way.
0: Unheard of. Amazing. Yeah, 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 wow. Are there any other stories you can think of from that time of, maybe even from the principal's point of view, like feedback from...
2: Yeah, I always try and make sure at the start of the year I connect with the principals in the school and just have a sit-down meeting face-to-face ideally. Uh, I remember one year I was sitting down with the principal at the high school and there was a new deputy principal who just popped his head to look in the in the room and saw that we were meeting. And the principal said, oh, no, no, don't go. Come in. Let me introduce you to Cameron Hislop. Uh, he works at the local Anglican church. Half our school goes to his church. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, I wish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How good would that be? <laughs> but if that's
2: what you think, mm. I'm not going to correct it, <laughs> all right? And I think he had that perception because his interaction with the student body is typically through the student representative council, the school captains and so on. And at that particular year, maybe half of those uh, students were from our church. But uh, the, the building of relationships is very important, I think, with the principal. So I had one principal, um, I've seen five different principals at the local high school. Uh, one of them, a couple of principals ago, he said to me, uh, the very first meeting we had, and I always asked them about their own faith journey and what they believe and so on. And he had a Catholic background and he said to me, look, I'm I'm not really into any particular religion or anything, although I was raised uh, within a Catholic context. he said, I have been in a number of schools, some that have had no SRE teaching at all, some that have had SRE teaching. And there have been schools where there have been, a crisis has happened with a student death or whatever it might be. And he said, the schools that have SRE, where there is a voice of faith within the school community, have coped with that crisis so much better than the schools that have had no voice of faith. So he said, although I don't hold to any faith, I am committed to a voice of faith in the school community. And so that was a great first conversation with him. He was very supportive of SRE. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And isn't that amazing that just being present in schools is showing to school principals the difference that having faith makes and the difference that having people who are shining the love of Christ in their school can make in those times of crisis.
2: And this is not just from the scripture teachers. I think it's parents on PNC, really important for Christian parents to be involved in the school community as much as they can as well. You know, school fates happen and all of the the local church um, parents from within the school are heavily involved and in some cases, at one of our local primary schools ran the school fate, And it was the church community people who had a big exposure and witness within the school community. Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, gospelling people every opportunity, but it was just living at our faith of being a part of the community and caring for and contributing to what's happening.
1: One of the most interesting lines there, I think, is where he says the, the deputy principal or the principal who's not a person of faith says, I notice a difference between the schools where there were people of faith and there wasn't people of faith. That's what Jesus is saying. Salt of the earth. Just the Christians being present in that school was an antiseptic, was a preserver against the festering of, in that particular case, of real sadnesses of students' death or parent deaths of students. Just having Christians there in the space made an observable difference, even to those who weren't Christians. That's what Jesus is calling us to, the hope for the world is Christians being Christians. Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you have brought us into a renewed relationship with you because of your death and your resurrection, that we've been adopted into your family. Father, with such a wonderful status of being a child of God, you've now given us the wonderful joy and responsibility to be christians living as christians in the world in which we live father pray that you will help us to think creatively curiously about the way that we can influence those that we meet our sports teams our school classrooms our workplaces our neighborhood streets the supermarkets the public transport, everywhere we find ourselves to be Christians living Christianly in a way that is distinctive and powerfully positive to the world around us. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.